I say this often when I preach. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different today. And um, I do have my own style, um, but I really am passionate that um, every time I'm preaching, I really do get passionate that, you know, I just want to be led by the Holy Spirit in terms of what He wants to say and what, how He wants to do things each and every time I open Scripture. And it's like, God's just like, Adam, you're not doing it your way today. You're doing it my way. It's going to look a little bit different. Um, and I'll just give you a quick little uh, fun fact. Lesson on preaching, okay? Um, so there's probably commonly understood to be four different preaching styles. Um, number one would be expository preaching. So think about Jeff in the way he likes to approach his preaching. He likes to really unpack uh, every detail of every verse in order. Um, that's your sort of typical expository style. Um, I'm more of a, what, what they call a textual preacher, which is, you know, I pull out one principle and I really try to go after that principle and it might be from a short, it might be one verse, a couple of verses, but I really go, I really hone in on that. Um, I, I think Pastor Kathy, she's more of a, a topical style preacher. She brings in a lot of scriptures throughout the Bible and really like informs your the, theological understanding by pulling in the whole Bible picture. Um, and then a fourth one, which, which you know, depends on how you preach as to whether this exists or not, but a fourth one would be a narrative style preaching, which is really like a story the whole way through. Whereas I think all of the pastors here, when we preach, we, we use a bit of a narrative style as well as our own sort of style in that. So, uh, you know, there's kind of three, kind of four, but um, I'm, I'm going to be doing a bit more of a topical overview today. So it's a bit more of a flyover, bringing in a lot of different passages. Um, it's not how I usually preach, but I'm excited to, to do it today. Um, because as I was entering my leave before Christmas, I knew I was preaching first week back. And uh, I, I'm not a, a very academic person. I'm a very hands-on guy. I probably works um, uh, for me doing youth ministry, very hands-on kind of ministry. Uh, and when it comes to preaching, I just, get so, like, I just can't sit still for like eight hours and write a message. Like I need to break it up in chunks and, and be active in between. And so I'm like, you know, one week to prepare a message usually takes me a little bit longer. I like to think and reflect. Um, and so I was praying. I was like, God, you need to help me out, man. You need to help me out because I need to be ready for this sermon from day dot back at, um, from my leave. And so I was asking the Holy Spirit, hey, uh, guide me. Guide me in my quiet time over this next month of my leave to what you want to say through me when I come back to church. Um, and I found, you know, it was within the first week of my quiet time. Uh, I, was, I was reading a passage in Scripture and I felt like God really just opened the door um, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute, uh, to me with a passage. It's from Revelation 3, 7 and 8. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Adam, it's almost Christmas. Why are you reading Revelation? Like, why do you, what's with all the trials and tribulations and plagues and it's Christmas time? Like, what were you thinking? Hey, but, you know, that's just, you know, my Bible in a year plan that leads me to that point. It's the end of the Bible. It makes sense that things line up that way. But as I was reading this passage, I really felt that 
God was calling me to guide us into how we seize and discern the opportunities He's put in front of us for 2022. And that's why the message today is titled um, Seizing Opportunities in 2022. As a pastor, I'm so often asked uh, by people what decisions they should be making in their life. Um, And I believe today is going to help us get these practices a little bit more right, a little bit more nailed down. After all, new year, new opportunities. And I'm sure we're all faced with decisions uh, in the not too near future or all the near future, depending on, uh, it's a long year, you know, we'll play out how it plays out, right? Um, Here the church in Philly, they have been given open doors by Jesus. He says no one can shut them. Isn't that good? That he has the power over these doors um, and nothing can change that. And so often as followers of Jesus, we don't know what doors he's opening. Am I right? We get a little bit confused. Like, God, where are you leading me? Where are you? What doors have you opened? It's confusing. I don't don't always know what decisions to make. God, is that you? Where are you moving in this moment? You know, when when we miss out on our uni preferences and we've got to take a backup, like, God, where are you? What door are you leading me through? What decision do I take, do I make now? Is that promotion at work worth it, given the extra responsibility and stress it's going to add to my schedule? Do I quit my job and and do that travel around the world that I've been meaning to do for ages now that lockdown is over? Do I pull my kids out of school after two years of struggling in lockdown and not being at the level they need to be at? You know, is it time to finish serving in one ministry and and God's going to lead me into a new ministry opportunity um, in a new season of life in in line up with my gifting? Do I finally take the plunge and serve God overseas? Do I mow my lawns for a second time this week or do I hold out to a Thursday? Oh, wait, that's just me. No one else thinks that, do they? That's just me. Every year I set myself a new Bible reading plan. I try to change it up. I do Bible in a year and naturally a lot of them start with Genesis. And as I find myself reading Genesis over the holidays, I just finished it, I think, yesterday, actually, finished Genesis. Unless, you know, if anyone out there was doing the shred, which was by the Bible in 30 days, you would have finished Genesis in like day one. Um, but I just finished it, um, I think, yesterday. And um, I've been like, just looking at Genesis in a, in a new lens, I really found myself looking through Genesis, asking myself this question, how is God opening and closing doors? in the book of Genesis. And that's why today we're looking at um, seizing opportunities in 2022. Seven stories from seven characters in the book of Genesis. It's a complete flyover. It's not gonna be super in-depth, but I hope it gives us some tools for the decisions and the opportunities and the doors God's gonna be opening and closing for us in 2022. So, are you ready? Are you ready to go? Friends, it is a note-taking day. I hope you brought your notepad and pen. I hope you brought your iPhone notes ready to go. Seven principles here. You're not going to remember them all. You're not that smart. Write them down. I can't encourage you enough. Okay, so let's go. Number one, test it. We're going to be looking at Noah. If you know anything about Noah, 40 days. 40 days uh, on a boat. 40 days, 40 nights on a boat. Um... God floods the earth, Noah gets on the boat, he takes all the animals with him. 
Um, if I'm Noah, I'd be freaking out. I'd be feeling a little claustrophobic by now. I'd be like, God, get me off this dang boat. I want to get out on dry land. You're shaking around all the time. And so what does Noah do when he wants to get off the boat is he tests it. Is it the right timing? He cracks a window and he sends out um, some, a raven. He sends out a dove. He tests it to see whether it's the right time from God. It's not a Genesis uh, story, but it reminds me of Gideon. You know, Gideon, he lays out the fleece when he's trying to discern something from God. And he says, God, in his prayer, he's like, you know, if it's from you, let the dew be on the ground and let the fleece be dry overnight. And then he tests him again. He's like, if this is definitely from you, let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry overnight. You know, he tests the, the opportunity. He, he cracks a window and finds out what's going on. But what I find interesting from Noah's journey with God, slightly before that, a chapter earlier, in fact, is he says this in seven, chapter 7, verse 16. He says, it says, God shut him in. God shut him in. Here again, we are seeing, like in Revelation, that God is in control of the doors. And sometimes um, God closes doors in our lives and it's to keep us safe. And so we need to be testing these doors, nudging and, and popping a window to find out if it's Okay if it's okay to move. It's a good thing when God closes a door in our life. You know, it steers us in the direction He wants us to go. In order to seize the opportunities God has for you in 2022, when you're under, when you're uncertain of what they might be, have you tested the waters? Have you, you know, done a cheeky poke your head out the window? Had those preliminary conversations with a friend who's been in a similar role before and asked them, hey, like, how have you found it? What's this like? Does this line up with the passions and giftings God's given you? Are good questions to be asking when you're testing the waters. Have you tried helping out in a min- with a ministry coordinator in something you might like to get involved in and see if there's an opportunity you might like to move into? Is this a door God's opening for you? Are you ready to take no for an answer when God closed the door on you? when he slams it in your face on a dream or an idea. Noah tests the door by looking out the window and he waits patiently for a clear opportunity. Number two, position yourself. We're going to look at Abraham's servant here. Now, it doesn't really give us Abraham's servant name, but Abraham wants to find a wife for his son Isaac uh, he doesn't want to find any local peasant Canaanite woman. He's got to send uh, his, his servant to find a wife from his own tribe, from his own family. And he sends his servant um, to find this wife from his own land. And where does he go on his travels? To the well. It says it was toward evening, the time when women go out to go draw water. He's not wandering about aimlessly. He knows um, where it's statistically more likely he's going to find someone, uh, find a woman, in fact, and he goes to that place. He goes to the right place. Not only does he go where he knows he needs to be, but he knows what he's looking for. The relative of Nahor, Abraham's brother. And that enabled him to find the right woman, a relative from the right tribe. So often the mistakes we make when waiting to change our circumstances and seize uh, opportunities, we don't position ourselves very well. If you're looking 
before an open door, a change in circumstances, or a job? Are you just like wandering around aimlessly? Or are you putting your best foot forward so you're ready to take the opportunity when it comes? You know, when, when you're looking for an open door or a change in your relationship status, are you taking the time to make sure you're your best self, ready to be the right boyfriend or girlfriend yourself, or are you just doing whatever pleases you? You're just wandering around aimlessly, going with the flow. You know, if you want to change the way your friendship group respects you and treats you, how do you respect and treat yourself? Are you positioning yourself to be worthy of respect? Abraham's servant knew where he needed to be at what time and he knew what he was looking for. You need to position yourself to seize God's opportunities. Number three is eat, sleep and pray. This is a classic story of Jacob. If you know this one, um, Jacob was born um, to Isaac um, and Rebecca. Well, I just had a mental blank. I hope that's all right. Um, this is a classic story. I, I, they have twins, um, Jacob and Esau. They couldn't be more polar opposite if you know this story. Uh, Esau comes out super hairy, manly man, loves hunting. Um, and then you've got um, Jacob. He's, you know, fair-skinned, bit of a mama's boy. Nothing wrong with that. I was a bit of a mama's boy growing up. Um, you know, he likes spending time in the kitchen. And so these guys are complete polar opposites. And what happens is one day, Esau comes home out on the hunt, exhausted, super hungry, and he demands some of Jacob's stew. He wants to eat. And, and so J- Jacob turns around and is like, hey, I'll give you the stew in exchange for your birthright. It's got to be the most ridiculous story we've ever heard, right? The, the dumbest thing ever. But friends, there really are few decisions in life, few decisions in life that you'll ever have to make without having time to sleep on it. Without having time to process, give it 24 hours and sleep on it. Hey, how many of you have been grocery shopping on an empty stomach? Come on. Worst idea ever, am I right? Worst idea for the budget ever. You end up buying everything and anything because you're so hungry and everything's appealing to you. Eat and sleep. Make sure you still feel the same way about that decision in the morning. And if you want to make sure you're not making a decision based on any whim, Matthew 7, 7 says, not a Genesis passage, but hey, it's good insight here. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Hey, this verse isn't saying you'll get whatever you ask for, but contextually, it's talking about when we keep bringing our, our wants and our needs before God in prayer, He hears them and He cares about them and He loves answering our prayers. But hey, if you can't practice regular, faithful prayers for the things that you want most in your life, probably fair to say you don't actually care that much about it. And that this issue might be something that's on a whim and it's going to pass in a week or two. How often do we choose our words poorly when we're tired? How often do we spend too much time at the grocery store when we're hungry? 
How often can we genuinely say we've been taking a matter before God for weeks, for months, even years before he comes through? God wants to reward that kind of faithful prayer. Eat, sleep, pray consistently. Then you'll be able to make decisions in your right mind about the things that actually matter to you. Number four, avoid unnecessary conflict. We'll be looking here at Isaac after the death of Abraham. There's a crazy famine in the land of Canaan and, and God clearly speaks to Isaac and he says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't avoid, don't run away from the land. And he stays in the land and um, he's, he's got no choices but to stay there. But in this time, uh, what he does is begins to open up some of the wells that his father Abraham had dug. And in, in this season of famine in the land, Isaac endures a, a hundredfold harvest. And naturally, all the locals start to get a bit jealous. They start to hate on him a little bit. And they start to dispute the wells that he's opened up. You know, he's named them all the names that his father had named them. And they start to get dis- disputed. So he goes from one well and they're like, nah, we're going to close them up. You can't have this one. And he opens up another well and they're like, nah, this is, this is ours. Um, this wasn't yours. We're going to keep this one. And so he, uh, you know, he moves on again. He moves on again. And eventually it says here, as we can see, he moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled, or quarreled over it. Sometimes we get so stubborn we get so stuck on the details. Like, this is my well. My father dug it. I'm not moving anywhere. This is my swamp. And we put the people in our lives and we put ourselves through pain that sometimes is just unnecessary when we could have moved on. Sometimes we sit and sulk. Oh, I've been praying about this and I want to get a new job, but like God's not answering my prayer and Oh, just like there's so many big issues. And I just, I just, nothing's working. I'm just going to sit there and take it. Maybe whatever it is you're going through, you just, whatever it is you're fighting, it's just time to move on from. You're sure Sharon at work might be a bit of a jerk, but just don't engage with her. Just because you need to stay where you are or God's telling you to stay where you are, it doesn't mean you need to put up with conflict that is unnecessary conflict and you can just disengage with it. When, we're going, when the going got tough for Isaac and he couldn't move on to a different land, he avoided conflict that was unnecessary and he moved into a new space. Sometimes we fill our lives up with so much drama than we need to or than we want when we could easily just let it go. That's not to say that sometimes God doesn't want us to endure tough situations, which brings me to my next point. Number five. Embrace necessary conflict. Classic story is Joseph and his 11 brothers. He was the youngest of 11 brothers, the favorite of his father, Jacob. He was a little bit naive and combined with his naivety and favoritism, it painted a bit of a target on his back from his brothers. And essentially they get so fed up with him at one point, they decide to sell him into slavery. He winds up in Egypt. And then while um, as a slave, his master's wife accuses him falsely of trying to rape her. 
But Joseph had zero control over any of these situations and his circumstances. He had just nothing he can do about it. He finds himself immersed in conflict wherever he goes. And all he can do is make the best of his circumstances. As things turn out, God's given him the gift to interpret dreams. And he gets promoted from prisoner to the second in charge of all of Egypt. And he saves the nation and the surrounding people from famine, including his family who think he's dead. He saves them as well. In a deeply moving encounter between his brothers, Joseph says these key words. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How often do we find ourselves in a relationship or a season of life where the going gets tough and our default response is to give up and bail and just get out of there? Sometimes the tough seasons in your life and the challenges you're facing exist to grow your character into the person God wants you to be for the next door and the next season He's going to open for you. We have the ability to endure it embrace it. Joseph was treated horrendously by his brothers and his master's wife, but he stuck at it when he couldn't get away from it and ended up being used to save the very family who sold him into slavery in the first place. Sometimes we need to embrace the necessary conflict. Point number six, it's, it's a pretty basic one, but I think it's so often overlooked when it comes to making godly decisions in our lives. If you're familiar with Abraham's story, um, he and his wife, you know, they were promised by God that they would have descendants as many as, as the sand on the seashore. And Abraham and Sarah, they get to an age where they're no longer able to have kids and, and they're thinking, well, we've been made this promise. How is this going to come to fruition? And in a, in a moment when they're not thinking straight, they try to sort of seize the opportunity themselves and, and Sarah gives Hagar, her, her slave, to, to Abraham to you know, have a baby through her instead and she ends up having Ishmael and then God comes along and says, no, nah, not, that's not the way. I am going to give you your own son through Sarah and he ends up having Isaac and there's conflict naturally as, as these boys grow up there's conflict in this season between the mums. There's conflict between, probably between the boys as well. And so Abraham finds himself in a season where he has to sort this conflict out and he's got to send one of his sons away. How I couldn't imagine the, the, ang- the angst and the stress that that would cause a father to have to send one of his sons away. But God in this passage gives Abraham peace that he needs to feel in order to feel good about the choice he needs to make. So often we make big calls in life and it's hard to feel okay about them. We can feel uneasy, unsure, even anxious. But when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, evidence of that Holy Spirit is peace in our lives enduring difficult times. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is peace. 
which means that when the Spirit is at work within us, guiding us, peace follows. Have you felt this sense of peace in your life when making a big choice, when when choosing to go through a, a big door? If you haven't, perhaps in the future that can serve as a red flag or a warning sign for you that you need to consider this decision a bit more deeply next time. Lucky last, and this is where I want to land the message today. Number seven, do your research. This is probably where I could have added Adam and Eve, but decided not to go with them. Decided to go with Lot. Abraham's brother Lot, uh, when Abraham left his father's tribe and, and, and went to Canaan, Lot decided to come with him with his family and, you know, God blessed them abundantly and, and, and they were fruitful and they grew in size and it got to the point where the land couldn't sustain them anymore. You know, you've got these two big families, you've got all their livestock, the land just cannot possibly keep up with that amount of need. And so Abraham, great guy, can't imagine I'd say this to my own sibling, but he turns to his sibling Lot and he says, hey, look out at the land, it's all before you. You pick where you want to go, I'll go the other way. I can't, I'd, I'd never make that call. I'm a bit too selfish for that, if I'm honest. But um, it says here that um, Lot, he looks at the land. Uh, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So he thought, this land is elite. Like, I'm sending my family there. I want to live there. I want to graze my flock there. And it makes sense, right? It it sounds like a great decision. But what Lot didn't know was that the people of Sodom, which was where he'd be staying and where he'd be nearby, the people he'd be mingling with, it says two verses later, now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And it wouldn't work out for him. Despite how good it looked, it didn't work out for him. He ends up with his daughter's almost being raped, his wife being turned into a pillar of salt. And I'm assuming, lose, like in, in, in the night when they're fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, um, I'm assuming he loses a lot of his possessions in that process too. That was the very reason they split up in the first place. Looks can be deceiving. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it always is good. Double quarter pounder from McDonald's looks pretty good. Sometimes tastes pretty good, depending on your taste buds as well. But you'll never know what it's doing to your insides, that's for sure. We need to do our research when making big calls in life. We need to pick up the packet, read the nutritional details. We need to ask trusted family and friends who know us, hey, do you think this is a good fit for me. This is a good opportunity for me. And hey, quick sidebar, I don't know what's going on today in our society, but we seem to surround ourselves with people who don't speak truth in our lives. We seem to only surround ourselves with people who want to affirm us every step of the way. And on Instagram or Facebook, congratulations, oh, this is amazing, so good. When sometimes we need people in our lives who are going to say the hard truth and in love, Like, do you have an accountability friend or someone who's going to come to you and say, hey, look, I'm excited for you and I'll back you all the way, but my read on this situation is different to yours. Do we have those people in our lives? 
the Christian brothers and sisters, a mentor, a pastor, who, who we can go to for the spiritual advice on the situations and considering all angles and not just the material one. Do we spend enough time in God's word knowing whether these decisions line up with his values, his will for our lives to the best of our knowledge? Because looks can be deceiving and we need to do our research and not doing our proper research is just plain lazy. I think this is the big one. I think this one is the big one for our decision-making as followers of Jesus. I think this is the often the most commonplace. It starts to fall apart for us. Far too often we value the visible, the, the physical material benefit we can see, taste and touch over the spiritual one. It's probably the biggest problem that Western Christianity faces is that we're immersed daily in a culture that places higher value and importance on the material. We make life choices based on the suburb we want to live in and the, and the lifestyle we think that's going to provide. We choose the jobs that, have the, the, that offer the most fancy car or we move far away to a house with a bigger blot and all the bells and whistles. And oftentimes we don't take a moment to consider the spiritual value or the impact of those choices. Why don't we do that? Why don't we properly weigh out the spiritual impact of the decisions we're making? Now, I'm convinced that as I reflect on this, of this lesson, it's because oftentimes we find ourselves wanting what's contrary to God wants for us. whether it's just because we're plain ignorant or the pull of the world is so strong. I don't know what it is for you. Only you know why it is we find ourselves making these choices. See, I've been a little, I've been a little bit naughty with you today. One small terms and conditions on this message. One small caveat to the lessons and the tools we've just unpacked about how to understand the doors and the opportunities God's opening for you in 2022. The church in Philly were guided to open and close doors because they were pursuing the will of God. God was revealing open doors to them because they were keeping His word, not denying His name and pursuing Him with all they had. The small caveat to the tools above is this. If you're not pursuing Jesus as the first and foremost purpose of your life, you're not gonna see the doors he's opening and closing for you. You'll be walking around blind and lame thinking you've smashed your head against a closed door when in matter of fact, it was a wall and you can't even tell the difference in the first place. Sure, there are some elements of these practices which are just plain common sense. But the large majority without Jesus 
are never going to achieve their full potential. Friends, when we orientate our lives and our decisions around Jesus, His will and His ways, He alone holds the power to open and close opportunities for us. And living in His will is the most blessed our lives can be and will ever be. If God is first in your life, everything else will come to order because He's not only the creator of you, but of the universe. I'm not saying it will will be problem-free, but I'm saying it will be the way it's meant to be and His way is best. What's the focus for you today? What stood out from the points that I've mentioned? In my reflection, as I was preparing this week, I'm convinced there's two types of people God wants to speak to, and there may be, there may be more, but at least how I'm feeling about this passage. Number one, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with a God who can guide you, open doors for you, wants the best for you, you have the opportunity to know Him. Number two, have you been pursuing things other than God in your life? And you need to reorientate your focus so you can get back to His best plan for you and your life and understanding the opportunities He has for you in 2022. What lessons on decision-making from Genesis do you need to better acquaint yourself with? One, testing it. Two, positioning yourself. Three, eat, sleep, pray. Four, avoiding unnecessary conflict. Five, embracing necessary conflict. Six, receiving God's peace. And seven, doing your thorough research. Tell a friend. Tell a family member you came with today that the point that really struck with you so that next time you're making a decision, they can hold you to the things that you need to improve on. Ask them what convicted them. What stood out to them? Do you need to invite Jesus into your life? Do you need to reorientate your life from where it was heading back to Jesus to kick off this new year? I love it if we could pray. And as I said, I think there's two kind of people here today. And God wants you to have a moment with Him to to reorientate the direction of your life for the first time or the tenth time. So I'm going to give you an opportunity as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, that is going to be an opportunity for you to respond, physically respond and take a step towards, take a step through the door God wants to open in your life to all the things He wants to reveal for you. As the band plays on the count of three, that's your moment, your opportunity to come down the front and there'll be some of our pastors and elders who will be available to pray for you. 
maybe a, a friend or a family might, member might follow you down and, and want to pray with you. Because Jesus wants what's best for you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. But our eyes need to be on Him for that. So on the count of three, one, God has the power to open doors. Two, He has the best plan for your life. Three, it's never going to be the same. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You open and You close doors. You alone have the power to to help us make decisions and see what's best for us in our lives. God, you have a plan and a purpose for us and you want to lead us to the best life we can possibly live. Jesus, we thank you for that. We pray, Jesus, whatever it is that's distracting us from you, help us tear that down in your name, Jesus. Tear that away from our eyes so that we can fully pursue you with our lives. We can know where you're leading us, where you're guiding us in 2022 and we can live the best life we possibly can live inside your purpose and will for us. We thank you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen.